Good morning, everybody. My name is Dan. I'm on staff here at Cornerstone. Um, if you're just visiting us and you haven't been here for the past few weeks, we've been doing a series in Genesis, and so you can turn your Bibles to Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And today we're looking at chapter 18 and a little bit at chapter uh, 21 as well. Genesis chapter 18 and 21. Um, last week, Pastor Hojin uh, preached upon uh, Abram, and so now his name is Abraham, as God has rerouted his destiny, or marked it with the changing of his name. So Genesis chapter 18, if you don't have your Bible, you can look with me on the screen here. Genesis chapter 18, uh, and we'll also look at chapter 21. Um, Chapter 18, verse 9 to start. Where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. And they, is is, uh, what we see in in previous verses, is three men... And they're asking Abraham. Um, Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm born out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, she did laugh. (laughs) And looking at chapter 21, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? Let me pray for us one more time. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts. God, there is no formula for creating an encounter with you. Only you that creates that opportunity, the space, and only you that opens the eyes of our hearts to see you. And so we ask by your grace, in your mercy, in your strength, you would do that today in this place. I pray for every person here that we would see a little bit more of your character, of your love, and that we would be in awe of who you are today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today, essentially what we're talking about is humor. Laughter, things that are what makes us laugh. And um, humor is a, is a funny thing. Um, no pun intended. But humor is kind of a funny thing. Laughter is a funny thing. Like, why, like why, do we, why do we laugh? You know? And the things that we laugh at, if you think about it, like, why is that funny? It's just funny. We were, we were having a staff meeting, and um, we were at Pastor Danny's house, and 
Pastor Hojin was upstairs. He was, he was going to the bathroom. And, and so we just heard him, and he goes, he's walking, and he goes, ow. And so Pastor Danny and I like, was like, oh, shoot, that must have hurt. And then he was rounding the corner of the bed, and he just stubbed his toe in his shin. I don't know which one it was, but he was there for a good minute, just, ow, ow, ow. Right? And so, like, I mean, my brother's in pain. It must hurt, but I just feel like it's funny, right? And, and like, why is that stuff funny? Like, why? And yet we just, we have fun. We laugh at these things. And, and sometimes we laugh really, really hard, right? You know, your stomach's hurting. And I'm just remembering one instance where that's happened. And it's, it's just, again, it's like, why do we laugh at these things? And, and how it happened for me was back when I was in Seattle. And one of my friends and I decided to do a prank on... Um, so another friend of mine was getting married and she was doing like wedding things at her apartment. And then we we're like, let's go around like to different windows and just like start knocking on them, like scare them. Right. And so like we planned it, we timed it. So we we're like, as soon as we run count to five and then at the same time, we're going to start banging. Right. And so we're like, banging, banging, banging. We're like, ah! and then we run away. And like later on, we're talking to them and they're like, oh my God, we didn't know who it was. We thought there's these little, we thought they were trying to mess with us, like scare us. And we were so terrified. And so... We're, like, hearing the story, and we're, like, cracking up by ourselves. We're laughing about it, and we're, you know, we're just, tear, a little bit of tears are coming out. And then those moments where you start laughing, and you can't laugh, and your stomach hurts, is usually, like, the silliest things that put you over the top. And for us, again, it's just the most random things, but we got hungry that night. And so we had microwaved uh, little Johnsonville wieners. And we microwaved them a little too long, and so when we opened it, they got really, like, small, like, shrivelly, right? And so, like, we're, like, laughing, telling about this story, and then we open the microwave, and we're like, why are they so small? And we're like, and the next thing we know, we're, like, on the ground, we're like, and then when you laugh that hard, like, you get weird, and, like, everyone does weird things. It's not just, I mean, for one, like, you start, you go from, like, to, like you can't breathe anymore and some of us like we're like snorting away and other people i've heard people like fart when they like you know like you just you pressure just boom right like like we get and and we just laugh but like what is it why why do we laugh is laughing and laughter and humor like it was a sausage you know and it was so funny like but we have these episodes of laughter and humor, and it's a lot of fun. Um, and what I want to see today is that this story about Abraham and Isaac, it's, it's about God restoring laughter. What is, what is laughter but really the overflow of joy, right? And, and in that moment, you're just, for some reason, for whatever reason, something's very enjoyable, and it just overflows into this gut-wrenching laughter, right? So what God does for Sarah is he restores her laughter. And in this passage, it's interesting, like, we're going to answer a few questions, but we look at the story, and it's specifically for Sarah. God comes to meet Sarah. And we know this for a couple different reasons. Going up to this passage, um, the verses that we didn't read was that these three men, they come to the, the tent because Abraham and Sarah are living in a tent. And so they come to the tent, and Abraham, is, he sees them, and he tries to take them in. And in the culture, it's 
it was a great honor to take in traveling guests and to host them. And so he's telling him, let me, let me host you. Let, stay with me, right? And so he's talking to them, and then he gets to verse 9. And the question they have is, where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. He says, there in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So they want to first identify for sure, where is Sarah? And then they go on to say, then they said, then one of them said, I will surely return to you, right? And, and again, this is, these are three people, and what the Bible says is that two of them were angels, and one was the Lord. So this is what they communicate. And so, why does God come specifically for Sarah? If you look at the chapters before this, whenever God speaks, it's always to Abraham. So why does this time he want to make sure that Sarah is there, and then he speaks? It's because it's not good enough to know, know about God through someone else. God wants Sarah to have a specific encounter where she personally encounters God. And everything's not secondhand for her. It's not just hearing about Abraham's encounter and what Abraham says. But God wants Sarah to know her at a personal level. You cannot know God just by hearing what other people say. You cannot know God in a personal way just by coming to church and hearing what the speaker has to say. You can't just know God through friends and through their experience, but God wants Sarah to have her own personal experience and encounter with him. And so he comes specifically to Sarah. And, and for, for some of us, we've been going to church for a long time, and still, it's mostly secondhand, our experience of God. Um, John Stott, he's a, he's a big-time... Um, kind of academia in the, in the biblical academia. Uh, he's a big name. And he gives his testimony. Um, and he shares about how he was, he, he's been going to church his whole life. And um, he was, it was 17 when he decided to, there's a speaker at a certain event. And he just came up to the speaker and he was sharing his, his requests. And what the speaker said to him was uh, Revelation 3.20, and which says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears me and lets me in, I will enter and I will eat with him and he will eat with me. And so as John Stott gives his testimony, he says this. He says, that's what I need to hear. And he recounts, it was, this, is, this is exactly what I need to know. For I believed in Jesus all my life. I had been around Jesus all my life. But I realized that he had been outside on the wrong side of the door. I said my prayers every day but through the keyhole, as it were, hoping he heard me. But that night, on the 13th of February, 1938, when the others were in bed and the lights were out, I crept out of bed, and I knelt. And as simply as I knew how, I opened the door. So here's a man who would go on to become one of the, the big names of our Christian faith. And, and a lot of what we do today is because people have studied his work and what his reflections are. On Jesus and in God. So God comes to Sarah to give her a very personal 
encounter with him. And then the next thing I want to know is how he shows up to Sarah. Whenever God shows up to Abraham, you see different accounts of Abraham speaking to God. But in chapter 15, he shows up and we see how he shows up. Right? It's such a contrast from the way he shows up to Sarah. When he shows up in chapter 15 to Abraham, it says that there's a darkness that falls. This, this, this huge darkness. And, and for Sarah, they show up just midday in broad daylight. When he shows up to Abraham, it's in this awesome, he shows up as a blazing torch, as a smoking pot of fire, this kind of magnificent, awesome scene. And in this one, for Sarah, it's, it's three men who are tired. They're travelers, and their feet are tired. They're looking for a place to stay. For Abraham, it says there was not only darkness, but it was a dreaded darkness. It was this awesome, almost terrifying presence. But for Sarah, he is so gentle. He's so gentle. If you look at verse 12, Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Now, if God shows up to you and, you, and he says something to you and you laugh in his face, <laughs> some of us would get upset about that, right? And, and not only laugh in your face, but Sarah is actually saying some heavy words here. There's a lot of kind of, uh, there's some mockery. There's, um, she's really devalued herself. Because when she says, after I am worn out, and this, this word worn out is, is the, the deeper context of it is, 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 is like uselessness, right? And for her to say, I'm worn out and I'm useless, it's understandable, right? She's 90. And for childbearing, she's probably feeling kind of useless. And so she says, right, <laughs> here's, this, here's these guys saying that I will bear a child. So Sarah says, right. After I'm worn out, after I'm completely useless. And so she has a certain perspective of herself. You know, she's been given this promise that she would bear Abraham's child, who would be the son of, who would carry on to the seed of promise, be the father of nations. And so she has this kind of pressure. She knows what's supposed to happen. And she's 90, and it still hasn't happened. She feels like a failure, useless. And not only that, but the next words, my Lord is old. She's talking about Abraham. And will I now have this pleasure? And the word pleasure here actually connotates a, like a, a sexual type of pleasure. So now, will I have this pleasure? And so to say, now I'm going to have this, is to imply that she hasn't had it at least for a long time. So, now that I'm old, I'm useless my body is worn out, and Abraham hasn't even touched me. I haven't had any sort of joy in terms of sexual joy, this type of pleasure. That, he hasn't even touched me for so long. <laughs> right. And so she laughs to herself. But in verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, 
Why does Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is it too hard for the Lord? I'll return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And if you look at that passage, though, what God has done is he's taken away all the negative connotation of what Sarah is saying. He just looks past it. He doesn't try to say, what's wrong with you? Do you know who I am? Do you know who you're talking to? But he understands, and he's gentle. Now, Sarah was afraid, and so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. And some commentators would say, you can almost see God kind of smirking, kind of smiling and chuckling. Gotcha. Yeah, you did. Yes, you did. Um, so two things to say from this. Just, we can be real with God. I mean, you try to hide, you can't hide from God. Um, you can't hide what you're really thinking. You can't hide what you've done. The Lord knows. He knows when we rise, when we rest. He knows every thought. And, and in Psalm 139, he says, he, before the words reach your tongue, he knows it completely. God knows. So you can just come to him. And, and the second thing is, we can learn from God's character here. Because when Sarah, in her, in her fear, and she lies to God, God doesn't say, you lying, deceptive, what are you trying to do? Do you not respect who I am? Do you think I can be deceived? He's gentle with her. He's patient with her. He doesn't take it as insult to be lied to, but he's patient. Sometimes if people aren't where they need to be, Maybe they lie, or, or you, you want so much more for them, but they're still kind of hiding behind things. We can be patient with that, as gentle as God is. Now, so we see these two contrasting pictures, such gentleness and such an awesome picture with Abraham, and totally different with Sarah. And he comes to Sarah to give her a personal encounter, but this personal encounter is very different from how he does with Abraham. And what we need to understand here is that your story is going to be different from someone else's. It's not going to be the same. Sometimes we look at someone else's Christian walk and we think, how come God doesn't appear to me like that? How come I haven't encountered God in that way? But don't, don't, don't play that game. Because God wants to give you a special story, encounter you in a special way, so that you know him in a unique way that only your story can tell. And it might take a, a moment of glorious magnificence, or it might be a story that takes years, and you slowly unfold and get to know God deeper and deeper as time goes by. But every story is different. We don't need to covet other people's stories. So, basically where we've gone here is that Sarah, I mean, uh, God came specifically for Sarah and he came to her gently. Now, the big question, why? What's he trying to do here? And what he's trying to do is restore her laughter. 
trying to restore her laughter. Um, and, and how he does this is we can pick it up in verse 13. The question he asks is, will I, or in verse 14, he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now that, that word too hard there, if you look at it, usually when it gets translated, it's this concept of, of wonder, of, of the wonderful things of God. That's usually how it's used. And so another way to look at this and what uh, the more specifically what God is trying to say is, is anything too wonderful for God? Is anything too wonderful and beyond the reach of God that God cannot do that? And so the way that God restores Sarah's laughter is through wonder. He wants to restore her wonder. Now in life, this, this world kind of robs us of our wonder. In one sense, as we get old, we naturally just lose wonder, right? The way that a child is in awe of the world is totally different from an adult. If you're at the Yondo retreat, and and if you're just on YouTube, or if you just web surf a lot, you saw the video of the two-year-old who's in awe of rain, right? The two-year-old discovering rain for the first time, just standing out there like... It's just rain. And that's for a two-year-old to discover rain. And then the video goes on for like like three minutes or so. And like, you know, that's only a short, probably there's probably longer time than that, right? Now, as you get old and you, as an adult, you experience rain. It's totally different. Here's the amount of my hair is getting messed up or, or I don't want to be wet. I'm going to be cold now. There's no wonder in it. All wonder is lost. Same thing with snow, Right? I'm so tired of snow. The wonder of snow is lost. But not just these things, but just in general. Like, a child discovers things in such wonder. And as you get older, you kind of, it dissipates. It takes more. Wonder dissipates. And not only that, not only is there kind of a natural thing as we get older, but this world and the concept of this world actually rob us of wonder. Right? If you... In this world, if you just kind of boiled everything down to a science and everything's calculated, there's no wonder in it anymore. It's just a calculation of what goes on. Right? And, and this world would want to kind of calculate everything. Even the way we feel. It's, it's just uh, brain synapses. And all of a sudden, joy isn't really an experience of joy. It's just, oh, your brain's just firing a certain way. And you can... It's just cells and things and such. (laughs) You lose all wonder, right? And then the things of this world try to rob us of wonder. But what God wants to do is restore wonder. And he does it through Isaac. An awesome story of Isaac. Every story, the stories that we like, this is what we're trying to do. In our hearts, we're kind of created to have wonder. We're made to know wonder. And as this world robs us of wonder, where we try to cling to it is through stories. We try to cling to it through through movies, through readings. And that's why we love these stories. Because it restores, at least for a moment, our aspect, our thought of wonder. Right? We love Harry Potter. Why? Because, wow, there's like some magical stuff going on here. 
But every story is the same. There's like this natural order of things, and then there's something bad happens, and there's impending doom, and then there's a hero that comes in to restore that. And so we get our wonder fix from these stories. And what God does through the story of Isaac is restore wonder. But every story of wonder is only pointing to a greater story of wonder. And that's the story of Jesus. And that's a story that if we understand and experience, it will never lose its wonder. How does the story of Isaac restore wonder for Sarah and restore her laughter as that does, as he does that? Sarah had lost all hope. Sarah had lost all hope. She had a promise, and she couldn't see it happen in her life. And so all she saw was impending doom and destiny in her life. And we see that God restores her laughter through this story. Because in chapter 21... um, All right, we're going to go to chapter 21 right now. It says, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And we're going to skip ahead to verse 6. And so Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Through this experience, God restores her wonder of God. The amazing unnatural experience of Isaac and she's back into the wonder of God. In this story, God shows up to a person and he says, you will bear a child. You will bear a child. And what we see in Luke is that God shows up an angel shows up to Mary and says, you will bear a child. For Sarah, she laughs at it. She does not believe what's going to happen. And if you look at Mary, Mary says, well, how can this be? She also questions. She doesn't understand how is this going to happen. Now, if we think that it's difficult for Sarah to have a child at an old age with an old man, What is it like for Mary to have a child with no man? And this is a story that gives us a glimpse at the greater story. The greatest story. And the question is, how do we receive this wonder in our own lives? How does God infuse this wonder in our own lives? And an easy way to take this is, one way to think of it that we often take it, and much, and much of the church has taken it, is, well, Abraham, he believed. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so that must be it. If we believe enough and we pray hard enough, then whatever 
miraculous things we need in our lives, unlikely things, we can see them happen if we just believe and pray hard enough. We can get that career. We can have that joy, that happiness, that, uh, that, that, that relationship, that vacation, that house we're looking for. It's because if we pray hard enough and we believe hard enough. But we're making two mistakes here. One is that this is inconsistent across Scripture, and it's inconsistent within the story as well. If anyone ever believed hard enough, prayed hard enough, it was Jesus. Jesus prayed harder than anybody. He had more faith than anybody. But when he prays, God, would you remove this cup from me? It wasn't taken away. God just says, I have a different plan for you. There are some things, if you believe hard enough, pray hard enough, it's just not going to happen because God has a different plan. And so we see that that's not what's going to take across Scripture. It's inconsistent. That's not the application here. I believe in big prayers. I believe pray as big as God is. But it's not a formula to make things happen in our lives. And even in this story, was it Abraham's faith? Was it Sarah's faith? No. No, it wasn't. Sarah didn't have faith. She laughed in God's face when God said something. And Abraham, and that's why I had chapter 17 up here. Abraham, in chapter 17, God also said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that you will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. And this is Abraham's response. He fell face down and he laughed and said to himself, Will the son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Not only does he laugh, but he tries to tell God, Actually, I have a better plan for you. He fell face down laughing. The first biblical raffle. Right here. Raffle MAO. Right? If, roll on the floor laughing my assets off. Right? This is the first encounter of that. And it's when Abraham, God comes to Abraham and he laughs at him. It's not his incredible faith. That's not, that's not what it is. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did what he had promised. We can have a lot of faith. We can pray really hard. And you should. You should. Because God hears those prayers. He works in those prayers. Faith can move mountains. But it's not a formula for making things happen. The only true thing that we can rely on is the grace of God. It's the grace of God. So how do we see the wonder of God into our lives? It's not by our own faith. It's not by our own prayers. It's the same thing here. As God was gracious to Sarah, God will be gracious to you. And, I, and all I have to say is God promises. He promises that he will, take, he, he will give you a taste of his kingdom, of his glory, that you will taste and see the goodness of the Lord. He says, seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. 
And so it's not a formula. You can't boil down encountering God to a formula. Even praying hard is not a formula. All we can do is seek. Continue to seek. Your story might look like Abraham when it comes in this awesome blazing fire. Or it might come slow, like Sarah. And you might not experience this awesome fullness of until you're old. But continue to seek. And this is not my promise to you. This is God's promise. Seek and you will find. And what happens is we understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaac. He is the greatest Isaac. Even in, in Isaac's name in itself. The Isaac, his name is, is it's, a, it's like an onomatopoeia of laughter, right? When we write laughter, we write ha-ha-ha, right? Or moo-ha-ha-ha or poo-ha-ha-ha. Um, you could say itzah-ha-ha, right? Because the Hebrew name is Itzak. Itzak. It's, it's an onomatopoeia of laughter itself, right? It sounds like it when you laugh really hard. That's, that's what it is. And the word and the name just means, like, he laughs. That's what it is. And so even in that name is God restoring laughter into Sarah's life. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And, and that word, laugh with me, it's... It, in the ESV, it actually says, laugh over me. And a lot, and, and this is kind of elaborating on the word, but more, the most specific, the most, uh, what you might say it is, is laugh at me. And so Sarah is sitting here, and God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will, will laugh at me. And well, this doesn't get translated here, because it's kind of like, what does that mean? Why would she say that? Well, if you're 90 years old and you're nursing a baby, people might laugh at you. Like, what is going on here? Right? But she doesn't care. God has redeemed her laughter within. And what we're going to look at is he redeems her laughter without. What he does is, you know, the, the, she can laugh about herself. Because the most ridiculous thing is that God allows us to enter into his fellowship. That's something to laugh about. Why? Do we deserve anything? That's ridiculous. That I can spend eternity with God. That is ridiculous. That I can stand up here, me personally, in all my sinfulness, speak a word of truth because of God's grace. That's ridiculous. I'm not special. I'm as fallen and wretched as anybody else. The fact that we are allowed to pray to God, to come before God, this is ridiculous. But for Sarah, what has happened is that as she's encountered God, who cares? She can laugh at herself. She doesn't care if people laugh at her. Some of us have such a hard time that we might be laughed at. But you know you've really encountered God when you don't even care. You can talk about Jesus. You can represent Jesus. You can live about Jesus. You can make your life show that you love Jesus. And you're not worried about people laughing at you because you know that the biggest joke is that you're a king, part of his kingdom in the first place. So he restores our laughter within. And the laughter that was once cynical, covering up insecurity, 
The laughter that was once uh, nervous laughter, (laughs) yeah, right, is a laughter that is full of grace, full of joy. So he restores her laughter with him. And she can also laugh at everything else. Everything that she once believed in and how the world operates, she knows that God operates on a greater scale. The world might try to laugh at us, but the only thing worth laughing about, about what people believe is that, man, this world doesn't know what it's talking about. It's so lost. It's laughable. The world might laugh at you, but we can laugh at the world. So God, by restoring wonder, restores laughter, restores joy, restores hope. The name of Isaac, representing the greater one who will, who does restore our joy, restore our laughter, restore all fulfillment and all happiness in the name of Jesus. I just want to end with one more thought. And it's just that there are people here whom the enemy is hard at work trying to steal your joy, trying to rob you of your laughter. I just want to speak into that, that God is on a mission to restore that. And you're not going to get there because you worked hard at it. You're not going to experience the fullness of joy and life because you prayed so hard. I think you should pray. I think that puts us in a place where we're in the posture of surrender to God. But what's going to take you there is God's grace. So continue to seek. Continue to seek for His kingdom. Seek His face. And rely on His grace. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that from early on, all the way from Abraham, we see that you were on a mission of restoration, that you wanted to restore the joy and the happiness of your people. You wanted to restore our overflow of joy. You want to restore our laughter and put laughter in its proper place to be one that's full of grace and full of the truth of who you are. And God, I just want to pray for all of us in here that our experience of you, that we would all have our specific individual special story of you. God, we don't want to look through the keyhole. We don't want to know you from the other side of the door. But God, would you help us to run hard for you, to taste of you, to know you in a way that only we can do by directly encountering you.
And so we got, so God, we, we thank you that this is your promise to us. You made the promise to restore, and you are the strength to fulfill. And we only pray that we would surrender to that and discover that in your grace and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.